Hey, 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 what's the buzz and tell me what's a happening? This is Pyromaniac Mode coming at you for episode 25 of the Pyro Light Podcast. I got a special one for you today, folks, but before I get to that, let me just tell you about the intro music. You heard a bit of Iggy Pop, the passenger, as usual. I will tweet out a link to the intro music. And a couple other things I bring up on the show today. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at PyromaniacMo. That is P-Y-R-O-M-A-N-I-A-C-M-O. The rest of the Pyromaniac boys can be tweeting and found on Twitter at Pyromaniac. That's P-Y-R-O-M-A-N, the number one, A-C. And just before we get going, let me remind all you redraft folks that you can still get in on, on the action with DraftKings. Fantasy sports fans are winning huge cash prizes every day at DraftKings.com, America's favorite place to play daily fantasy sports. Daily fantasy means no season-long commitments. Play whenever you want. Pick your sport, draft your team, and you're ready to go. It's like a new season every time you play, so you're never stuck with the same old players. Over $1 billion will be won on DraftKings this year, and you could be next. Go to DraftKings.com now and enter the promo code PYRO. P-Y-R-O. All new users to DraftKings receive a deposit matching bonus up to $600. This, of course, releases at the rate of play, and you can even get a free $3 game voucher. That's on DraftKings.com. Enter the promo code PYRO. All right, guys, you can find the Pyromaniac Light Podcast, the Pyromaniac Heavy Podcast. We are currently on iTunes, Spreaker, and Stitcher, and we are coming to more podcast stations near you in the future so stay tuned all right guys uh i had the good fortune to travel to a local brewery recently and i talked to owner of four for four that is mr josh moore i will tweet out a link i talked a bit about josh uh one of his articles i believe the week 17 article not too long ago, and Josh and I got down to some way too early discussion about some running backs and uh, the state of the NFL. So I really had a pleasure. We did it at Eagle Monk Brewery. Uh, I even got to talk to owner Dan Buenadano. You can find information about Eagle Monk on their website, Eagle Monk Brewing, or why don't you give them a like on Facebook? That's forward slash Eagle Monk Pub and Brewery. All right, guys, uh, today is Saturday, January 16th. I recorded this in Hoisted Some Val Verdes with Josh and Dan uh, just yesterday, Friday, the 15th of January. So you're going to hear the interview with Josh first, and then stay tuned for uh, a talk with Dan about brewery, brewing his brewery and why he does it and uh, why I love it. So stay tuned for that one as well. And without further ado, guys, Josh Moore is coming up. All right, gang, as promised, I'm sitting here at Eagle Monk Brewery, kicking back with some Val Verdes and talking with Josh Moore. Josh is the owner and editor of 4 for 4. In 2010 and 2011, Josh was recognized as the industry's top five most accurate expert. He has since turned the rankings over to John Paulson. Josh continues to write, edit, and run 4 for 4. He's been involved with the company since 2004, and you can find him on Twitter at 4for4 underscore Josh. That's the number 4, F-O-R, the number 4 underscore Josh. Mr. Moore, how are you, sir? Valverde. I'm doing all, very well. All right, all right. 
Yeah, we are here at uh, Eagle Monk, a local Lansing brew pub. We got the atmosphere. You can hear some folks playing darts in the background, and hear some glasses being hoisted. So uh, it's a good Friday. All in all. Indeed it is. Uh, I was excited when you hit me up to find out that you lived in Lansing and we could do this locally. I think that's pretty cool. I've never actually done a podcast recorded locally from uh, one of our favorite establishments here in Lansing, so that's cool. Yeah, nor have I. Uh, usually we do these uh, fantasy football talks via Skype. Anytime we can get together and hoist some brews and talk fantasy, I'm all good with it. Yeah, we got a little bit extra atmosphere and it's cool to see other fantasy contributors in the area. Absolutely. So let's kind of dive in here. Uh, in case some of our listeners are unfamiliar, although I doubt it, 4 for 4 is a titan in the industry, but uh, where can some pyromaniac listeners find your work? Yes, you can find all our work at 4for4.com. Uh, we are a subscription service. We provide rankings, tools, projections, all sorts of things. We also have a bunch of new DFS tools this year that we've been debuting. You can find me on Twitter, just like Mo said, at 4 for 4 underscore Josh. And... Uh, Probably Twitter's probably the best place to interact with me. I love to hear from fans and hear what you guys are up to, what questions you got, what you like, what you don't like, what you want to see on the site. So uh, hit me up. Very cool. Yeah, I'd say, uh, you know, I reached out to you on Twitter and uh, very communicable. So certainly Valverde to you, sir. And, Valverde. All right, all right. Uh, at Pyro, we're always trying to aim to, you know, the biblical term, teach our listeners to fish rather than serve them up a dish. We want to peel back the curtain, as it were, so the ASEAN, I guess if that's the term, Wizard of Oz, get behind the curtain, see what's going on. What resource do you use yourself in season to help you in fantasy? <clears throat> well, basically, the, the whole point of 4 for 4 has been to build out the tools that I myself and other fantasy players need to win their leagues and win their DFS. So really anything that we think is essential to winning your league, we try to build out on 4 for 4. So pretty much we've got everything there that you could need. We've got rankings, redraft rankings, we've got a trade analyzer, we've got, you know, who do I sit start, tons of content. As far as non 4 for 4 stuff, there's really uh the the only things we don't really have on the site are some of the specialty stats like say uh PFF tracks, uh cornerback wide receiver coverage stats um or where the receivers are lining up. So those are some really valuable resources that you can get from some other sites like PFF. Yeah, PFF does a great job uh with some of the really down to down in the nitty-gritty minutia stuff. But uh 4 for 4, I've been using them. I'm going to reference some of the the numbers just a bit later for some uh pyromaniac listeners. Now, Josh, you recently wrote an article. I think it was week 16, I believe. 17. Week 17. Uh, essentially, I believe you dove into motivational factors. Uh, that is to say, you know, teams that have a shot at going to the playoffs, they are motivated. Teams that don't have a shot are unmotivated. Now, many times, analysts look for that kind of extra leg up that extra narrative whether it be guys you know next season that's going into a contract year so guys like Lev Bell next year D'Angelo Williams Arian Foster Danny Woodhead McFadden Lacey uh, Latavius Ellington those guys are all going to be going into contract years next season so they might have some extra financial motivation you looked at motivation in another sense who's going into the playoffs uh, do you find there's credence there to look for that extra motivational stuff to give you a leg up? Well, we've done some, uh, definitely in week 17 it's a big factor because play, we've seen teams like uh, the Cardinals, they got down, decided they had nothing to play yeah. for and pretty much stopped playing. Yeah. So I think in week 17 it's a really important thing to look at. And not that every team that doesn't have motivation is, is going to you know 
not play well or you know pull their starters. But if you're choosing between you know players in a couple different situations, I, I steer towards all the teams that are motivated if you can because you just never know. Every year we see teams that we think are going to play, and then you know week 17, halfway through, we realize it's pretty much like the preseason for half the game. So. <laughs> It's important. As far as uh, contracts, I think the biggest thing that contract year has an impact on is players' will ability to play through injuries and actually be on the field. So we've done some studies. I believe we found that when players are actually playing, their performance on a per-game basis isn't necessarily uh, impacted by contract year or not contract year. But uh, certain players might you know, make more of an effort to get on the field because they're working for that next contract. And then just kind of anecdotally, me personally, there are certain players that I know respond really well to, to motivation, and sometimes you know, they, they simply aren't motivated and don't seem to care. I think Deshaun Jackson is kind of like yeah. the, the perfect example of that, where you know he's going to come to play you know, for the against, game against the Eagles, for example. He's going to come to play. Um, so I think certain instances like that, you can find extra motivation. Use that to your advantage. The revenge factor. <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, you'd be surprised how often you know players do have good games against their former teams. I think Andre Johnson had maybe one good game this whole season, <laughs> yeah. and it came against the Texans. So yep. that's you know it's a bit of narrative street there, but it you know it holds up a lot of the time as well. And even recently, Gore. It was uh, yep. ironically it was his first game. Uh, back in Miami, and he had a really fantastic game. And of course, yeah, those homecoming games too. Quite yeah, often. yeah. So it's uh, interesting. You know, I think we always get caught up in the numbers. Like I'm a you know fish head, so I'm always looking at set lists and how often they open with this. And I just I'm a geek that way, and I do it with fantasy football. But there's that narrative side that's not anything you can break down statistically, but it's certain something uh, that can give fantasy owners a leg up. Um, moving on, if we had a crystal ball, or perhaps for you Tolkien fans out there, if we were to gaze into the seeing stones, that we're always looking for a leg up. Next season, so we're talking about the 2016 season, who do you think is going to be a bounce-back candidate, you know, looking for some draft day values? Who do you think is going to bounce back from this year to the 2016 season? I think there's some obvious candidates that have been injured this year, like, say, Andrew Luck or... Running backs, Le'Veon Bell or Jamal Charles. But one guy that I think will really have a, a big jump back to the production we expect is Des Bryant. Um, yeah. He finished his fantasy football's wide receiver 78 this year. And even on a point-per-game basis, he, he only averaged about six points per game, which was about on par with, say, like a Nate Washington. Uh, but he had multiple things going against him. He had multiple injuries himself. And he also had a, a quarterback who was dealing with multiple injuries uh, Tony Romo, who didn't play much this year, yeah. so I think I mean Tony Romo is getting up there in age. I think he's thirty-five or thirty-six next year, so that's something. It's a bit of a risk, but I do expect Des to be back in the field, be healthy, and I would expect him to put up wide receiver one type numbers. You know, assuming that Tony Tony Romo's back and, and playing effectively. Yeah, I thought Des was going to have a big year this year, getting back to I think it was sixteen touchdowns last season of course uh one of the things i noted though with des that uh he was one of the guys that was hurt in the preseason and man uh i've been noticing the guys that are hurt in the preseason have a huge statistical chance of becoming re-injured and i don't know if that's their their missing conditioning time uh but des was one of those cases he was hurt and it continued to linger yeah and it's really hard to tell in the preseason how serious injuries are yeah. because guys are taking games off and you could think well maybe they're just you know playing it safe but who really knows um one other guy that i think is uh, a bit more of a flyer and i mean he could definitely do nothing next year but i think an interesting name 
to watch for next year now that Chip Kelly has uh, signed with the yeah, 49ers yeah. is uh, Colin Kaepernick. Yeah. I think if Chip Kelly decides that he likes Colin Kaepernick, you know, and they go back to kind of a, a read option, run heavy game, you know, up tempo offense, if things work out well there, he could be, you know, a top echelon quarterback again. We've seen it for spurts, you know, Co- Colin Kaepernick can just look phenomenal for small spurts, but his problem's been consistency. So I'm interested to see what happens in San Francisco. I'm very interested in well, and I'm going to talk to you a little bit later, uh, uh, Carlos Hyde, maybe see how he's going to do. But I personally, I kind of think. The way Kelly runs it, uh, quick reads, uh, quick passes, I think uh, Kaepernick could excel in that situation and even capitalize on his legs, which he didn't, they didn't really seem to. They really got away from that this season. And we looked at you know years past uh, when he was just tearing it up, and they didn't seem to go to his strength. So I'm hoping Kelly can revive that in him. Yeah, the 49ers have just been a train wreck, so I think – any kind of change there is hopefully good. And I don't know, I think Chip Kelly definitely rubbed some people the wrong way in Philadelphia. I think that was, at the end of the day, his demise. But I think, you know, if he can learn from his mistakes, he has a lot of potential. He's a smart guy. I think he has a lot of potential. Yeah, I'm really excited to see Chip Kelly and hopefully uh, have some Kaepernick days yet again in the fantasy world. I picked him up for free in my Dynasty League about a month ago, so we'll see if that pans out. I remember there was a point in my dynasty league when I was uh, weighing between Kaepernick and uh, Russell Wilson. I'm sorry to say I went the wrong way. <laughs> stuck, stuck with Cap. Similarly, I remember a couple years ago, it was, I think it was the first game of the season, and Kaepernick just lit it up for like 450 <laughs> yes. yards. And I remember like actually debating with someone, you know, if Aaron Rodgers or Colin Kaepernick was the better <laughs> dynasty option at that point. But luckily I stuck with Rodgers. Right. Right, that uh, crystal ball or the seeing stones, if only we had that. Now, on the flip side, so we talked about guys that could bounce back next season, the 2016 season. Uh, if there's anything in fantasy football fans know all too well, it's the pangs of disappointment. So guys like Eddie Lacy, Amir Abdullah, and if I'm so bold as to say CJ, excuse, excuse me, a little flaclumped C.J. Anderson. Your number one overall pick, right? Was indeed in my high school league my number one overall pick. Uh, of course, these guys turned out to be draft day duds. Bum. But who do you think next year will be similar, similarly um, fantasy fool's gold? Well, I think the common thread in those players that you just mentioned is they're all running backs. Mm-hmm. And we've seen tons of volatility at the running back position. And a lot of what happens is you have a guy with his week one role projected for the entire year to be in that role. And that doesn't always end up happening. Quite frequently, that doesn't end up happening. So we saw it with the Cowboys this year. People were drafting Joseph Randall in the third or fourth round, um, thinking he would kind yeah. of grab that that uh, that role and run with it, no pun intended. Um, but what actually ended up happening was Darren McFadden started uh, from about week eight on, and over that stretch he was RB8. And Darren McFadden is my uh, my candidate for bust of 2016. I think what's it, it's possible that the Cowboys draft a Henry or bring someone else in, but if the Cowboys go into Week One with Darren McFadden as their starter, what I think will happen is the fantasy community will respond by picking him in a similar area where they picked Joseph Randall this year, maybe in the third or fourth round. And I think you'd be better served probably to to draft his backup, assuming that guy is a viable player and, and wait for the inevitable McFadden injury. I don't think uh, he's a really a great option. He just found himself in a great situation for the second half of the year. 
Yeah, and uh, I, I've been suckered in by that before. You got the big line there, but uh, DMC, you just can't seem to, to stay on the field, and I'm not betting on him for next season. Yeah, and he was a great pick this year in the eighth or ninth round, but when his, his price tag rises significantly, then it's just too much risk at that spot. Now, reflecting on the previous year, so we're about to draft uh, 2015 if we're to turn back the clock. Uh, many an owner had 2014 fresh in their mind. So let me take you back. Fire up the flex capacitor. Uh, take you back. 2014, we had guys like DeMarco Murray rattling off, uh, I believe it was 800-yard games in a row. Uh, we had guys like Levy and Bell, Lynch, Lacey, Forsett, Miller, and Hill. Now, in 2014, these running backs all played 16 games, and they were all top 12 fantasy backs. So this season, it made sense that folks wanted to lock up a top-tier running back. However, 2015 turned out to be the year of the wide receiver. Perhaps a vote of confidence for the the do-the-opposite draft philosophy. We've brought this up on Pyro before. We'll bring it up again. But essentially, doing the opposite of what is going on in your draft. So while guys are picking running back, you're picking wide receiver. Now, this might be the flavor of next season. Now, before I ask for your takeaways from the 2015 season... I labeled it the the year of the wide receiver. So let me give you some numbers. There were 22 wide receivers this season that went for over 1,000 yards. Just seven running backs, just four tight ends. Ten wide receivers put up double-digit touchdowns. Seven running backs did this, and only five of them had double-digit rushing. Three tight ends put up double-digit tight ends. Here's the one that kills me. I kind of picked an arbitrary number, but in PPR... There were 14 wide receivers that scored over 245 points, and actually, the year before, 13 did it. Two running backs this season scored over 245 compared to 14 wide receivers. Only two tight ends scored over 245 in PPR. So we got two running backs, two tight ends to score over 245, 14 wide receivers that did it. Now, I'm labeling this the year of the wide receiver, but... Obviously, those passes are coming from somewhere. We had 12 quarterbacks that passed for more than 4,000 yards. We had 11 quarterbacks toss more than 30 touchdowns. So is this going to influence the way you draft next season, or should we keep in mind that there are no guarantees? There are no uh, takeaways. Every year is different. Uh, What have you taken away from this recent season? Well, a lot of my long-held kind of beliefs have, continued to prove correct in that waiting on quarterback is a viable strategy, waiting on tight end is a viable strategy, even though, you know, Gronkowski was the obvious tight end one. If you waited, you know, until the 10th, 11th round, you could grab a guy like Delaney Walker or Gary Barnage emerged from the waiver wire. So I think there's always going to be guys like that that emerge. Plus at the onesie positions like that, there's just not as much demand for those players there. You can generally begin even if you don't land somebody on draft day at quarterback or tight end that ends up being your starter you can generally stream and kind of you know find a, a viable starter within the first quarter of the season um john paulson at 44 did some studies this year before the season about you know, should we be drafting wide receivers early should we be drafting running backs early and what his study found was that generally the the consensus one or two rbs are uh, worth the picks at the beginning of the first round. But after those guys, uh, generally people begin to overvalue running backs. And I think especially as we see the league change where RB by committee is a much more viable approach in today's NFL, given the contract situations, the injuries, 
Um, what ends up happening, I think, is that players, you know, the first few true workhorse backs go off the board early, and then everyone's scrambling to grab the next running backs up. But what we see is after the first few backs, there's not really that many true workhorses. You know, guys end up splitting work. Other guys emerge throughout the later in the year. So I think, you know, those those guys that we can really peg, okay, these guys are going to get a ton of the work for their team, and they have somewhat of a track record of performing. Those guys are worth early picks. Um, but after those first few guys, I think we need to start looking at wide receivers because they're just so much more consistent, so much more predictable. And like you said, passing games are really evolving and scoring a lot of points these days. Yeah, breaking records. Um, now, you, you mentioned the term uh, running back by committee. I, I've dubbed uh, another one running back by community when teams are using not just two backs, but three and even sometimes four. Uh, and are you... <laughs> yeah, I call those backfields dead to me, and I don't even touch them. <laughs> okay, so my, my question, you know, I'm just getting to know you here, so I'm going to get a little personal, but uh, are you a handcuff guy? <laughs> <laughs> um, not normally in redraft, although there's certain... For me, it really comes down to the situation. So if it's a high-value, high-leverage situation for a running back, then I will. So Seattle, for instance... We know that we know the starting running back in Seattle is going to get a ton of work. We know it's a good offense. We know they're going to run a lot. So that situation, if I had Lynch, then yes, I'm interested. The problem there is we didn't know who the handcuff was, right? It yeah. was Michael. Then it was right. Turbin. Then yeah. it was Jackson. That I was, was a Michael Truther now, for a long time. Yeah, now it's Michael, you know, rushing his way to the Hall of Fame again. So, But those really good positions, I think the Cardinals are another good example of that, where they're giving... Uh, enough work to the RB1 for him to put up great numbers, and they've got a good defense, they've got a good offensive line, they've got a good passing game. So those are really good spots where I think it's really important in fantasy to think about, you know, when we do projections, a lot of time we're trying to say, okay, what, you know, this is going to be the role, we'll project that for a whole season. But really what you need to think about is if the guy in front of him went down, who are the guys that would have a ton of value in that situation? So like D'Angelo Williams, there's a ton yeah. of value there. Whereas, uh, and think of another, you know, say the Giants. Okay, you know, if you want to grab one of those guys, well, good luck. You know, they're all going to get, you know, five to eight touches a week or five to 12. Although Rashad Jennings got some more work down the line. But I really try and just target high-impact uh, roles and high-impact offenses as far as handcuffs. But normally I'm not really too interested. Of course, if you have a longer bench, you know, handcuff becomes more viable strategy. Yeah, one guy, I was just kind of going off script here, uh, looking at what for next year. Uh, running backs with over 100 carries, so triple-digit guys who uh, had over 100 carries. I believe it was um, Rawls, who was Lynch's original backup, had the highest yards per carry, I want to yep. say about 5.6. Right behind him, although I don't think he had 100 yards or 100 carries, but right behind him was Carlos Williams. Again, uh, not right in the spotlight, not who we thought would necessarily be there, but uh, what do you think about a guy like Carlos Williams or, or Rawls next season? Rawls I really like next year. It remains to be seen what happens to Lynch. But Lynch I think, can't be there next year, right? I don't, I don't think he can be because he's owed something like $10 million next yeah. year. And Rawls has signed for two more years for like $1 million total. Right. And Rawls has been so good. You know, Lynch, of course, is kind of the heart of that team. But to me, assuming that Rawls checks out okay from his injuries, I think you know he's got to be the guy. And then maybe Christine Michael ends up being your change of pace again. I don't know. But, yeah, I, I think I like Rawls a lot. And I, I was uh, in prep for this podcast. I was, you know, kind of going through the running backs and thinking, okay, who is at, – at this point in the year, I mean, th so much is going to change. Some guys right. will get hurt. Some guys will get signed. Some guys will get drafted that inevitably some of the, some of these 
uh, possible first round running backs, you know, they'll get out of the picture. But looking at it now, I mean, there's maybe 10 guys that you could argue should be first round running backs, even though I already said that, you know, wide receiver is probably the way to go. Yeah, and uh, folks, keep in mind, you know, I mentioned this at the the intro, we are in the middle of January here, so this is far too early, but never too early to have some Valverde's. Verde. All right, all right. Yeah, you also mentioned Carlos Williams, and where where he really gained value was that he wasn't getting that many touches. He was mostly working behind LaShawn McCoy, but when he did get touches, he was getting the goal line work, so he was getting, you know, he he was pretty good on a per-touch basis, but he was also scoring touchdowns, so... Yeah, it was something like his first six games had seven touchdowns or something insane like that. Yeah, he's, we have a report on 4-4 of uh, stud bust reports. So it basically yes. looks at like their stud games minus their bust games. And a stud game, I forget what it is, you know, it's something like you know 80 yards or a touchdown, something like that. And uh, yeah, Carlos Williams was one of the leaders in that category because he had touchdowns in you know pretty much every game that he <laughs> played. And he very similar to the next guy I'm going to talk about. This is kind of a running back heavy FF talk here, but uh, Devonta Freeman. Now he's, according to four for four, his uh, ADP, his average draft position this past draft in uh, 2014 was 2014, 2015. Excuse me. Uh, I'm always in flux when we uh, have a, the new change, and since we are in January and officially 2016. But uh, in the last draft, Devonta Freeman, his ADP was 94th overall running back 40 the dude finished of course number one ppr uh number one standard i believe as well by a uh, wide margin yeah yeah over adrian peterson now this cat only averaged four yards a carry 4.0 that was the second lowest among top 12 running backs of course danny wood had 3.5 he earned his bones though uh, catching the balls latavius murray also 4.0 so, staying on Freeman, a guy who was number one by a large margin, as you said, but only averaging 4.0 this past season. He averaged 3.8 uh, his rookie season the year before. He jumped from two touchdowns to 14. Now, you pyromaniac pros know we often put out the uh, uh, chart that has the touchdown percentage and the yards percentage where the fantasy players get the most of their value. Now, he, Devonta Freeman, got 34% of his fantasy value from touchdowns. Now, the touchdowns is one of the most dynamic stats. You can't count on touchdowns. It's going to change from year to year. As I said, he went from 2 to 14. Now, last year, out of the top 24 running backs, only one had a higher percentage, and that was Asiata at 37. Uh, he finished 17th in standard. So, knowing that Freeman... His value, 34% of it came from touchdowns. Do you think he's going to be drafted as a top 10 running back? Is he going to be an RB1 next year? I think he's definitely going to be drafted that way. I wouldn't be surprised if he's drafted as a top three back. Although, looking at the running back rankings, I think a lot of arguments could be made for different different players at the, the RB1 spot or as a top five running back. But my guess is that based on his finish this year, Freeman will be yeah. overdrafted, I think. He might be drafted, say, as the number three back off the board after Peterson and Gurley, maybe, depending on what happens. And not only did he score a ton of his, his points through touchdowns, but they came in a small stretch of time. So I, I forget what exactly, but he might have 
One downside to doing the podcast live here is I can't like kind of type up on my computer. And <laughs> I know, I know. Out, but yeah. I know he had a three touchdown game and he had a stretch where he was scoring multi TDs at a, a pretty fast clip. And then he had a, a real dry spell. And my main concern about that offense is Matt Ryan. And he looks like to me, like, I mean, he's playing with, you know, he had playing with some of the, the best playmakers in the league in yep. Julio Jones. And I, Freeman was also playing at a really high level, even though the, the yard per carry wasn't necessarily there, but he looked really good for stretches this year. And I'm just worried that um, Matt Ryan is kind of taking the Matt Schaub career trajectory where, you know, he was benefiting from great playmakers and good numbers for a lot of years, but then he got to the end of it and things just went south quickly. And we saw that in the second half of the season, uh, the Falcons were having trouble moving the ball. They're having trouble scoring. And ultimately, those touchdowns weren't coming in the second half for Freeman. And that really hurt his value down the stretch. Yeah, very game script dependent. 5-0 uh, and to start the season. And, you know, Devonta's doing well at about, I think, week three. Started picking up. And then, as the game script goes, when they're behind, they're losing games. They weren't going to him as much. And, uh, yeah, I think he's going to be severely overdrafted next year. Uh be interesting where he ends up. Yeah, there's also Tevin Coleman in the mix, although yeah. when Freeman was playing this year, Coleman didn't get more than three or four touches generally, but you never know what could happen there. Uh, yeah, Atlanta, I mean, it's funny. They start out 5-0, and and then sure enough, they're the same old Falcons, right? And the coaching staff, it, Coleman's their guy. Free, they sort of inherited uh, Freeman. They drafted Coleman, so you know they're going to want to at least get some value out of him and, and try to give him a second chance, see how he rebounds from injury. Another guy I'm really interested of, especially considering uh, recent news, uh, but Carlos Hyde. He was ADP of 36 last season. Of course, you know, injuries set in. Um, he was RB17. Basically, if you're in a 12-man league, that's we're talking the last pick of the third round. Uh, as I said, finished 61 in PPR. Uh, last season, he averaged... 4.0 yards per carry. This season, he turned that puppy up to 4.1. <laughs> now, Valverde. if you factor games where he just had double-digit carries, right, I fired up my abacus and I, I did the math myself, uh, he had 9 of his 21 games, he was given the ball over 10 times to carry it. Now, in those games, he averaged just 3.86 yards per carry. He has seven total touchdowns, so that's basically one out of every three thus far in his career. He only has one game where the dude has racked up triple-digit all-purpose yards. Given that San Fran is likely going to be playing from behind again next season. Keep in mind, this season, right out of the bat, Minnesota does great, but that game was really an anomaly. They, they played from behind, and he didn't seem to get the workload. Is he going to be a viable running back two next year, and does Chip Kelly, the recent hire, affect how you view Carlos Hyde? Yes, Chip Kelly affects how I view him, but I'm not sure how I view him yet. I think we need to see what the other personnel moves are. We know Chip Kelly's going to probably up the amount of offensive plays yeah. per game. He's going to up the, the run percentage probably, although uh, San Francisco was already pretty run heavy. Um, but I think we also know that Chip Kelly likes to run multiple backs, so it depends. You know, we'll see. Maybe they'll you know sign the Matt Forte to a massive contract like they just did yeah. with, uh, like he did with Demarco Murray in uh, in Philadelphia. So Carlos Hyde, his skill level, I guess, doesn't really excite me. But he was in a pretty good position this year uh, in terms of volume, but then he couldn't stay healthy. So that, I mean, he had kind of two things working against him, which was health. And then the 49ers were a complete train wreck. So you're going to have to hope that Chip Kelly can turn the, 
the 49ers around, although I kind of doubt that's going to happen this year. So yeah. He's probably an RB2 with RB, a wide range of outcomes. RB2, and boy, they gave Kelly, uh, the Pyro Heavy Boys were just talking about this, how a coach never gets hired anymore with a five-year contract. And Kelly, they're giving him five. Uh, which, you know, contracts these days, I don't know how much it means, but they're giving him some some leeway there. So I think it'll be really interesting to see what he does with a, with a Carlos Hyde and certainly a Colin Kaepernick. Um, a, another running back is this is a basically running back heavy fantasy football talk here at uh, Pyromaniac.com. Once again, this is the light. I'm Pyromaniac Mo with 4 for 4 owner Josh Moore. And Josh, I want to ask you about Lamar Miller. Lots of guys on both sides of the fence here. Now, Lamar was drafted uh, ADP 22 overall. He was the 12th running back taken. Uh, it's basically the 10th pick of the second round that I'm getting my data from 4 for 4. Uh, he finished in PPR with pyro scoring, which takes off two points for a fumble. Finished fifth overall in PPR. Uh, I was surprised he was credited with 11 carries, going for at least 15 yards last season. Now, for a guy with 4-3 speed, he never appears to me, to my eyes anyway, to be a home run hitter. I, I, I just thought I would see him breaking off more. So I was kind of surprised he had 11 carries that went for at least 15 yards. Uh, here's a guy with a career average of nearly 4.6 yards per carry, according to Pro Football Reference. However, if you tally up his yards per carry on games where he was afforded double-digit carries, his career yards per carry jumps to 4.86. The dude saw seven games this season where he was afforded only single-digit carries. They just did not utilize this dude. He was maddening to his owners. Lamar Miller. Now, after his season high, 175-yard rushing game week six, the coaching staff saw fit to give him nine carries the following week. Despite having Miller, the Dolphins only called a run play on 37% of play calls, according to 4 for 4. Only the Lions and the Ravens actually ran the ball less. Go Lions. <laughs> yeah, they're keeping Caldwell. <laughs> surprising, surprising. Uh, now, with Miller... Pro Football Focus ranked him as the fifth highest breakaway percentage this season, the running back with the fifth highest breakaway percentage. Only four backs had more yards after contact per attempt. Now, these are impressive numbers. But when I watched him sometimes this season, there were times when he just didn't seem to follow his blocks or he didn't seem to make the right cut. I don't know if that's football IQ or what. Now, it wasn't all the time, but it seemed to me every game I saw him do this a few times. Now, what's your take on him? Has he been cursed by coaching? Is it low football IQ? Uh, to paraphrase Denny Green, is he who exactly who he thought we, he is? Or does he have potential for more, especially with uh, Adam Gase at the helm now? Yeah, well, I can't really speak to his football IQ. I'm no expert in kind of player evaluation. But as far as the situation goes, Miami was a train wreck this yeah. year. They fired their coach. They fired their offensive coordinator. They kind of went through stretches of high motivation followed by stretches where it seemed like they didn't give a damn. Um, so I think Lamar Miller, if he's given kind of a consistent role, I think he could... You know, he definitely has the talent to succeed. But what we saw this year was that, you know, he would have a huge game, like you said, and then the next week owners would be like, all right, this is Lamar Miller time, and he'd get nine carries. Even that game where he had 175 rushing yards, I think those were all in the first half, and then he didn't play in the second yeah. half. 
So, yeah, I think if he lands in a good situation, he could be easily be an RB1 next year, but it just comes down to the situation that he finds himself in. But I think he has the talent. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, like I say, I always expect him to just bust off more runs. He's got such speed. One of those Miami backs that just lightning fast. And uh, I'm hoping it's coaching and I'm hoping Gase can really turn him around because I, I like the guy. And I just think there's something that hasn't quite clicked yet. And I'm hoping it's coaching. Now, you think Gase is a good coach? I do. I mean, certainly more for quarterbacks he's been known. Uh, but I think over... Philbin and the, the the mess that he had this season. Yep. I really think Gase is certainly better for him next year than the situation was this year. Although Miller's a free agent, so we don't know where he's going to uh, end up. True, true. Uh, a lot of free agents coming up. I did just tweet out uh, a couple weeks ago, and I will retweet it after I'm talking about it, all the uh, free agents coming up for this next season. So, like I said, this is Pyromaniac Mo, and we are in the middle of July. Lots to change, but as of right now, we are football freaks, and I'm here with Josh Moore from 4 for 4. And Josh, I want to continue the running back talk and bring up a few names here. Now, these guys all have... Unfortunately, injuries in common. We got Arian Foster, Jamal Charles, and Le'Veon Bell. Three big-time backs that were injured this season. Where do you see these guys next year? Do you have any reservations? Uh, I think Arian Foster, you have to have the most reservation just because of his track record. I mean, it's not just you know one or two injuries. This guy's consistently injured now. Um, he's like the ultimate boomer bust pick pretty much every year. I had him in a couple of year leagues this this year. He came back. My team was looking incredible. He goes down. <laughs> yeah. My team's not looking so incredible. So I think you know it depends where these where Arian Foster lands because there's rumor that he's going to be cut because he's owed a lot of money. But I would have a tough time investing a first round pick in Arian Foster or maybe even a second round pick. But Jamal Charles and Le'Veon Bell, I think, you know, assuming both those guys make it back in time for training camp or thereabouts and look pretty good, I think there's going to be legitimate discussion, you know, if those guys are a, a top three running back this year. I think Gurley may be your number one pick. Um, Adrian Peterson's definitely going to be in that conversation. But then I think Jamal Charles and Le'Veon Bell have to be probably right there. Although there's a bunch of guys in that conversation this year. I was looking at it. And we've got AP, we've got Freeman. I think Rawls could make a case yeah. if Lynch is out of town like we talked about. David Johnson, he should probably be the clear number one in, in Arizona, and it's a great situation for him there. Um, and then Doug Martin, Lamar Miller, like we just talked about, those guys are both free agents, so who knows where they end up. Uh, you know, Le'Veon Bell, Charles. And then assuming Matt Forte leaves in free agency too, he could be another name to watch, and that also frees up Jeremy Lankford, yeah. a Michigan State boy who looked really great this year when he was you know, getting the RB1 touches. So there's going to be a lot of good running backs going into the, the drafts this year in August, I think, which is a lot different from uh, 2015 when they were looking pretty barren, you know? Yeah, Langford, uh, if my memory serves, I think he was the fastest back at the Combine. Of course, my memory uh, fails me from time to time. But Valverde. Yeah, Valverde. If, uh, if memory serves, he was... Oh, I already said that one. Um, another guy that burned me, of course, uh, Eddie Lacy burned a lot of guys out there. Now, he was ADP 3 overall, third running back off the board, uh, finished 32nd in PPR. Uh, it was ranked by many an analyst as an RB, uh, not an RB1, but as the first running back that should be taken for, quote, consistency. Uh, well, he didn't even finish in RB2 territory. In fact, 
the dude was not even the most fantasy-relevant back on his team. Starks finished 11 spots higher in PPR, and in standard, basically neck and neck, Lacey was 24, Starks was 23. Uh, Lacey's attempts, yards, touchdowns, targets, receptions, everything was down across the board. He finished with a 4.1 yard per carry average. Same as his rookie season, except he had 112 less touches. Uh, Didn't really seem to improve until McCarthy kind of took over the play-calling duties, but even then, it was over the board. He had uh, would burn his owners when he was on the bench, and then burn them again when they plugged him in, and he'd bomb. Uh, Where do you view Eddie Lacy going into next season? Is he RB2 territory? Is he RB1? Where do you view Lacy? I think it's funny that anyone was touting him for his consistency because in 2014 he started really cold and then got hot as the the season kind of wore on. That to, was to be fair, he faced some really tough defenses out of the gate. He did, and I remember one article that I wrote in 2014 was specifically about Eddie Lacy and how you should pass on him on draft day because he would be a buy low, and that yeah. And I was I. I End up pushing him as a buy low for several weeks when he still sucked. Yes. And people were giving me hell. And then, you know, he turned it on in the second half. But also, he's very touchdown dependent. So um, so that's another thing lending to him not being consistent. Where do I see him next year? I think he's probably going to be an RB2 next year, assuming, uh, you know, the situation in Packers land stays kind of similar. James Starks is a free agent this year, I believe. So if they let him walk, who knows? Maybe they draft another running back. But I think assuming he's still kind of the you know de facto RB1 there, uh, <clears throat> you have to hope that the Packers' offensive line gets better. You have to hope Oof. that Jordy Nelson gets back. You have to hope – I mean, really, if the Packers' offense had been better, I think Eddie Lacy would have been a better play. But ultimately, that whole offense really let down fantasy owners, and Eddie Lacy suffered. And he, I, I don't think he's the type of back that's – you know, he's not an elite running back. You know, he's got a few things that he does pretty well. He runs – downhill pretty well you know kind of like a, maybe a LeGarrette Blunt or something like that he's probably a bit better in the passing game but I don't think he's an elite back he's uh valued the way that he was because of the situation that he's in yeah and you know speaking of uh the Packers we got some beer to drink here Josh so mm-hmm. I think we're gonna wrap it up by staying on the Packers and you mentioned the line uh run Oriented, According to Football Outsiders, they use a, a metric adjusted line yards. It's, it's essentially how they rank offensive lines. Now, uh, the Hogs for Green Bay in 2013 ranked 5th in the league, 8th in 2014. They dropped to 25th this season. That's a huge step down in severely affected Lacey. And as you said, his touchdowns, you know, 11 in his rookie season, 9 in 2014, 3 this year. Now, staying with the pack, uh, Jordy Nelson. You know, people forget this dude was second highest standard scoring wide receiver last season. He was third in PPR, 151 targets, 98 receptions, 15, 19, so 1,519 yards, and 13 TDs. This is all his 2014 stats, the last season he played. Uh, I think we discovered Cobb is no wide receiver number one, uh, but in 2014, when Jordy was there and he was drawing number one cornerbacks, Cobb put up monster numbers. Uh, Cobb had 12 more receptions in 2014 than this year, nearly the same amount of targets, but yardage-wise, he had 460 more yards and six more touchdowns. So my question, I got a two-parter here for you before we drink our Valverde's. Uh, one, is Jordy really 
that valuable to this team because without him, the wheels fell off. I think, yes, he is that valuable valuable to this team because I think the the Packers' offense was constructed in such a way that they rely on that deep threat of Jordy Nelson. And when you take him out, Cobb and Devontae Adams are fine complementary receivers, Cobb specifically. But if you don't have anyone stretching the field, then everything gets compressed at the line of scrimmage. Those guys get played real tight. And you see what we saw this year. You see more sacks. Rodgers was sacked 47 times this year. You see a struggling run game. And then you see the the corners and the safeties just sitting on those short routes because they don't have anyone to stretch the field. So Jordy Nelson's a good player, but also he opens up the whole rest of the offense because he gets downfield and stretches with a corner and possibly a safety. So if he returns healthy next year, he's going to be 31 when the season starts. Do you think he's going to be the same player that owners know and love, or will injury and age catch up to him? I have no idea. <laughs> hey, all right, all right. Well, folks, uh, this has been Pyromaniac Mo talking with Josh from 4 for 4. Josh, it has been my pleasure, sir. Thank you. It's been awesome. Glad we could do this in person at a pub. Yeah, once again, we're at Eagle Monk Brewery and uh, kicking back some IPAs. And, of course, we are sponsored by Founders, but, you know, we like to satisfy our palates and drink all kinds of good brew. So, Josh, it's been my pleasure. All right, pyromaniacs, stay tuned as I sit down for a chat with head brewer, owner of Eagle Monk Brewing, Mr. Dan Buenadano. All right, pyromaniacs, we are back. And as you know, I am here at Eagle Monk Brewery. We are just outside of Michigan State. Of course, that's Lansing. For many of you sports fans, you know or hate us, depending on which part of the country you are from. And I am here with owner and head brewer Dan. Uh, He has been gracious enough to come out from behind the bar and talk to me for a bit. So, Dan, how are you, sir? I'm doing great. Excellent. And I happen to be drinking uh, your Raven, which is a black... IPA. Earlier, I was drinking another one of your IPAs. Tell me about some of the brews you are bringing to uh, Michigan locals. Well, I'm mostly uh, an English-inspired brewery. Uh, That's my base yeast, is the English ale yeast. So, um, you know, most of the beers I have on tap use uh, English malts, English grains, or same there, um, and English hops. Um, that's just the kind of beer I like to drink, so that's the kind of beer I brew. It <laughs> makes um, sense. Although I do have several American styles, I also have several German styles. I have um, a German Kolsch on right now, German kind of lager. Okay, cool. And how many beers do you dabble in total? Not how many do you have on tap, but how many can you make if uh, if given the chance? In my rotation, I have 24 different beers, so... Um, and I usually have about half of those on tap at any one time. Um, there's one or two that I always try to have on tap. Um, my Red Eye Rye, which is a, a, a British pale ale with 28% rye malt, so it gives it a little nice spicy character. Um, so. And uh, what's one of your favorite beers to make? Uh, do you get crazy? And I know a lot of people are putting fruit and all kinds of spices in there. Is there one that you really uh, enjoy mixing it up? Or perhaps one that you enjoy drinking after it's uh, fermented and ready to go. Well, I uh, I really like uh, you know lagers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, of course, that's contrary to um, English style beers because there's not too many English lagers. Um, but uh, you know, the the one I like to make the most that takes the most time, costs the most money, 
most labor costs, more, more chemical, etc., is uh, my uh, instigator Doppelbach, which I make once a year, and it's the, always the first brew of the year that I make. That's very turns out really raisiny and oaky because I put oak in the both the fermenter and the serving tank. Um, so that's, that's the one I like to make the best. All right, and uh, in this day and age of these big time breweries, you know, I'm sitting here and I've I've got foosball off to one side. I've got a dartboard. Uh, I've got shuffleboard, and it's just a, a cool locale. You can come in, um, explain the, the mugs hanging on the ceiling when you first walk through the door. What's going on with all the mugs that uh, I see folks grabbing and heading up to the bar with? Well, like many breweries, I have what's called a mug club. Um, you know, I wanted to call it a monk club because I'm an <laughs> monk, but uh, uh, Brewery Vivant kind of took that one, so I let them, you know, I didn't have that. But right now... Um, I have um, pretty much 1,300 mugs right now. Uh, that's that's a lot for being in, in existence for only three and a half years. So I sell mugs all the time. It's a great value. So What do you get if you're a mug clubber here at Eagle Monk? Well, my mug club membership, it's it's a you know, $50 one-time fee forever, a lifetime. Wow. Okay. Um, some do lifetime. Most do annual. Mm-hmm. But I... I don't uh, do it that way. And what you get is a much larger pour. It's usually 20 to 22, sometimes a lot bigger, depending on the mug you select, because they're all handmade. Um, every, yeah. mug is, every mug is different. So um, so you get that, plus you get a lot of other specials. A couple times a year, I put a coupon in your mug for like a dollar beer. Um, sometimes I randomly put a gift certificate in one of the mugs, you know, just... To surprise people, um, I do two dollars off growler fills, ten dollars off keg fills. Being a mug member, two dollars off pizzas on Tuesdays. A lot of different fun things that I do for my what I call my regulars, which are my mug members. Yeah, and uh, a lot of regulars here, and a lot of folks that come in. If you want Eagle Monk, uh, you got to come here. You do distribute a little bit to some of the local establishments and restaurants in the area. Is that correct? Yes, I have. And you said what three and a half years yes. you've been doing this. How did you get involved? Were you a home brewer, and just it kind of grew from there? How did you get started? I've been a home brewer since uh, like 1982, so a little over 30 years. And before that, I was a winemaker. Went into the, the wine store, and the, the gentleman behind the counter said, Hey, you ever make beer before? And I said, No. And he said, Hey, you ought to try it. And so I started making my own beer. It would, tasted a lot better than what was out there, actually cheaper than what was out there. And, uh, you know, I just fell in love with it. Whatever since it's the greatest hobby you can have, homebrewing, because there's so much um, camaraderie ship with uh, with other people, men and women alike. Especially if you join a homebrew club, uh, it's just awesome. Um, so I just love it. Well, you know, pyromaniacs will know. We often talk about founders. They're one of our sponsors. Uh, pyromaniacs. Now I'm pyromaniac mo. I started at founders. My wife was there. And one of the things that I loved was, uh, you know, you could belly up to someone at the bar who'd be a lawyer, a plumber, and everything in between. And you get that kind of same atmosphere here. Uh, yes. How would you describe your clientele? Well, people ask that. It's like, uh, what kind of crowd do you get in here? And it's like, everyone. Yeah, I get. You know, a bunch of 21-year-olds coming here, party, 
And right next to them is a group of retired people and everyone in between. We're family friendly, so uh, I have soda pop on tap that the kids, uh, you know, get. Um, you know, it's just, I don't have a demographic. It's just, I guess my demographic could be um, locals. Yeah. You know? And that's the cool thing. You know, we're here, Michigan State, uh, Stone's throw away. I think a lot of times people think, oh, Lansing, Michigan State, a bunch of college kids. But that's not exactly what you get here. Like I said, you, I had some folks back here I was shooting the breeze with, uh, throwing some darts earlier. I talked to some guys at the bar. Just all different walks of life coming here for one reason, and that's really good beer that Dan provides. So, Dan, Eagle Monk Brewery, I just want to thank you for the time to chat and uh, and enjoy drinking your beer. Thank you very much, Jeremy. All right, thanks. Once again, Pyromaniac fans, this was uh, Dan, and uh, I interviewed Josh Moore a bit earlier from 4 for 4, and you can find these great brews at Eagle Monk Brewing, and I will tweet out some more information. You can follow me on Twitter, at Pyromaniac Mo, and we will have something on the website for you as well if you wanted to get some more information about Eagle Monk Brewing Valverde.
Things. Exactly. 